Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all here. Happy New Year's Eve. Yeah, almost done. I thought that I would, um, in the last Sunday of this year, as well as the first Sunday of next year, I would uh, preach on just kind of a, a light and fluffy topic of the essence of life, the meaning of it all, the purpose of life. You think I'm joking, but I am going to preach on the very purpose and essence of life. Would you think about that with me for a moment? Now, I'm assuming that this is not a daily contemplation for us, right? That we daily think about the meaning of it all and the purpose of it all. But on occasion, we do, right? Maybe at the end of a good book or in the midst of a good conversation, a, a deeper conversation, maybe the end of a movie, right? Star Wars always does that for me. Yep. <laughs> but on occasion, we, we think about this, maybe not daily, but in those quiet moments, sometimes the Spirit of God touches our heart and draws us in. And I would like to suggest that even though we don't contemplate this, the meaning of it all daily, that our daily lives are lived in response to what we believe it's all about. That we might not make that connection or clearly, but maybe it's in a subconscious level. But really, if we unpack our daily lives and look at what drives us, what we do, the activities that we engage in, that we could trace them back, whether consciously or unconsciously, to what we really believe life is all about. What, what drives and stirs life. And I want to suggest that there is, a, there is a sense, I would call it a default purpose of life that we, we have. I'm gonna call it a default purpose of life. And most of us live from that purpose, all right? And I wanna suggest that it's not the biblical purpose of life. All right, this is a little... <laughs> A little strong, but I just want you to kind of wade in with me. I want to suggest um, that it's, it's not that sense how we're li living is based on a purpose of life that isn't necessarily biblical, all right? You with me? Let, let me unpack it like this. There was this really interesting study by four psychologists that was done um, a number of years ago, and they studied um, 195 men and women that were famous the last couple of hundred years, from uh, politicians to philosophers to um, uh, uh, actresses and actors, and they studied their quotes, and, and they sought what is their sense of the meaning of life. Sometimes they said something very directly and specifically, but they categorized them for the meaning of life. And one they said, there, there's a category, 13% of these famous people that they studied would say that the meaning of life, life is unknowable that life is a mystery. Some of you might share that. They would say Bob Dylan and Stephen Hawking 
would say life is unknowable. It's a, it's a mystery. Hawking said, if we find an answer to that, why we and the universe exists, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason for then we would know the mind of God. But we can't. It's a mystery. It has not been revealed. About 13% of these famous folks did that. 11%... Uh, the, the likes of um, Sigmund Freud, Bertrand Russell, said life has no meaning. Stop asking the question. You're not going to get an answer. There's no meaning, right? Some of you might fall into that category. A, a little bit higher, 13%, I like this one. We live to express compassion to others, to love and to serve others. That's the essence of the meaning of life. I think that one is growing. Um, that would be Albert Einstein, Gandhi, the Dalai Lama. Einstein said, only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. Some of you might fall into this, 11%. We are to worship God and prepare for the afterlife. Desmond Tutu. Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. Desmond Tutu said this, we should give God glory by reflecting his beauty and his love. That is why we are here and that is the purpose of our lives. 8%, you're not gonna like this one, but some of you might fall into this. Life is simply a struggle. That's Charles Dickens, Jonathan Swift, Swift wrote, tragedy wherein we sit as spectators for a while and then act our part in it. Life is hard. It's, it's a tragedy. And before we die, we enter into that tragedy. Life is a joke. <laughs> that would be Charlie Chaplin, Oscar Wilde, and Mikey. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, life, uh, I like this quote, Chaplin said, life is a tragedy when seen close up, but a comedy in the long view. <laughs> 17%, this is the one that, oh, I, I skipped this one. I think this is a growing one, and I was surprised it was only 5%, that we are called to create our own meaning. Carl Sagan, Carl Jung, Apparently, if your name is Carl, then you <laughs> ascribe to this, that we create our own meaning. Sagan said this, the significance of our lives and our, and our fragile realm derives from our own wisdom and courage. We are the custodian of life's meaning. We are the custodian of life's meaning. This final one is I think the default that most of us, consciously or unconsciously, would ascribe to, and that is life is primarily to be enjoyed and to be experienced. That we are called, that, that's the meaning, is enjoy the moment, enjoy the journey. Does that ring true to you, 17%? That's, I, I think especially in the United States as I was, as I was Googling and looking and searching and, and there was kind of a, a, an understanding, I think it's from the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness, 
that we just kind of have this sense. I googled what is the secret of life. That was fun. Yeah. And essentially, the secret was all about finding happiness. That was, well, it was the secret of how you get there, right? And so there was, a, there was this undercurrent of, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's, that's what we're about. That, that's how we live. And so if you think about your daily activity, if you think wealth leads to happiness, what will you do? You'll strive for wealth, right? If you think education will lead to happiness, what do you do? Education, right? If family and intimate relationships leads to happiness, what do you do? You pursue that, right? You, you understand that that's the undercurrent of who we are and what we're doing. And so we, be, we really, if you think about your day and you get up in the morning, well, first and foremost, I pursue consciousness, right? So I start the coffee, and then what do you do? You do your thing. You work your job. You go to school, right? You, you live your life. There's a pursuit of a variety of things, but there is a pursuit of happiness that will lead to fulfillment. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would say the meaning of life is. Would he agree that it's a pursuit of happiness? I wonder what Jesus would say. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul this morning, first and foremost, and then next week look at what Jesus says. And they say it in different ways, but there is a revelation here that's significant and important. Would you turn with me to Acts 17? Acts 17 is a fascinating passage of scripture where Paul is on a missionary journey and he is uh, in Athens and he's waiting for some companions. And Athens is really the center of the theologi- or, uh, philosophical um, world in Rome right now. That, that's what Athens is and the religious capital of the known world at this point. And, and they're very religious. And Paul is walking around and he is seeing, first he goes to the synagogues and he engages uh, the Jews with the message of Jesus Christ. But then he goes to the marketplace and he engages not primarily Jews, but Gentiles. And we're told that he experiences some philosophers, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And this is what they do in Athens. They hang around and they talk about the latest ideas, right? And so they hear these strange words coming from Paul and they invite him to a forum for him to make a presentation of the gospel. But in an interesting thing is Paul can't just do what he does in a synagogue because he's not speaking to Jews, They don't have a background of the Old Testament, of the kingdom of God, of the expectation of the Messiah. They don't have any of that. So he chooses not to use an Old Testament text. 
he chooses to use a text of an altar that he sees and even some Greek philosophers that he knows and is familiar with. And in his presentation, I would argue we see the answer to the purpose and the meaning of life. It's slightly different than how we live it. I'm going to read Acts 17, starting at verse 21. I like the parentheses here, Acts 17. Luke is the writer, the inspired writer, and he says, all the Athenians and the foreigners were, uh, who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. <laughs> That's kind of the environment that they're in. Um, Paul says, verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meaning of the Areopagus, if that's how you say it, I think so. That's a forum. And he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. So imagine, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 folks, some of them uh, considered philosophers, Epicurean, Stoic philosophers, some of them um, from the marketplace that have heard that, some Jews, mostly Greeks, Gentiles, and they're listening. And he stands and he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I was walking around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Pretty strong of Paul. He's saying what you worship, you're ignorant of. I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to clear up your ignorance. Pretty strong. But he complimented them for their religiousness. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, so he's referencing the Old Testament, re referencing biblical text, not quoting, right? All the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He chose where and when you and I would live. God did this so, when there's a so, you pay attention. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now he's going to go on, but we're going to pause right there and hold on to that. And what he does 
is in a really beautiful way, he's trying to contextualize the message, right? He's not speaking to Jews. He doesn't have, they don't have all this background. He's speaking to people that have a radically different worldview. And their worldview leads to their purpose in life. And so he has to pull back, as it were. He can't just say, hey, you know, Abraham. He can't do that, can he? He can't assume. In fact, these philosophers, they had a couple of different worldviews going on. One is called polytheism, and that is the belief that there are many gods. So many of his audience would have believed in many gods, And with their lives, they serve many gods. That is central to how they live, is they serve many gods. The unknown, that was, they didn't want to offend any gods they weren't aware of. And thus thus receive his wrath or hurt. So, So really, they had an unknown God just to cover all their bases, right? You you see how this polytheism leads to their daily activity of what they do. He can't assume that they all believe in one God. So he challenges this idea of polytheism, all right? Now, another worldview, we'll just unpack it a little bit, is called pantheism. And pantheism is that God is everything. That you and I are God, but so are rocks and trees, all right? So so there's a little bit of that, that worldview is still going on, and what he does is with his opening statement, he challenges worldview, because worldview is going to lead to meaning, and meaning is going to lead to the gospel, at least in Paul's thinking. And he says, by the way, all these altars... There's one. There's one. And he knows you. And he loves you. There is one God. He challenges these assumptions. And he says there's one God. And by the way, he is creator of heaven and earth. Again, look at verse 24, just his beginning. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord. He is over. He is sovereign. He is providential over heaven and earth. And he can't live in these little temples. Well, they had big temples in Athens, right? Can you imagine him gesturing to some of the temples, to to the Greek gods that were there? Right? And he's saying, no, there is one God. He doesn't live in one place. He is over all of life. And then he, he goes on. Uh, he doesn't really address, he, in one sense, I, I want to just say a word about a worldview today that's probably more predominant than polytheism, at least in the United States, or pantheism, is atheism, right? <laughs> the belief that there is no God or agnosticism, um, the belief that we can't know. That's one of the meanings there, and you create your own meaning. And so he, he really is addressing this smorgasbord of worldviews, and he's saying, here's the deal. Here's the truth. One God. He's sovereign, and he knows you. 
reading a, a researcher. Her name is Sophia Cavallati. And she's pioneered the uh, study of young children and their spirituality. And um, she finds that children often have amazing perception that far surpasses what they've been taught, right? So as adults, we, we take in this stuff and we unlearn what we kind of know deep in our soul, which is too bad. And she was reporting one story um, uh, of a, a three-year-old girl who was raised in a family that was atheist. No church contact, no Bible in the home. And uh, the, the parents told the story in her research. Um, the little girl, three years old, asked the father, where did the world come from? And the dad said, gave her, his answer to her was strictly in naturalistic and scientific terms. But then he added, there are some people who say that all of this comes from a very powerful being and they call him God. The parents said, at this the little girl started dancing around the room with joy. Three years old. And she said, I knew what you told me wasn't true. It's him, it's him. Three years old. All right. Atheists have their work cut out for them, don't they? Because there's a knowing there. There's a truth there. Now, we can try and unlearn that, right? That's why we go to school. No, I'm just kidding. But it kind of feels that way sometimes, right? My college experience, right? That we begin to unlearn that. And yet, God has knit us together in such a way that there is a yearning, a desire, a longing that we would know and find him, that, that it would make sense. And unfortunately, in this broken world, and I think it's the enemy's strategy, he, he tries to pollute all of those things and throw those things in there. And in a beautiful way, Paul steps in in the midst of all these worldviews and listen, here's the truth. Here, here's the truth. It's not subjective. We don't get to choose our truth. Ooh, I'll, I'll believe in a God. That, that, no. He says, here's the real deal. There's one God. There's one God. And then he goes on to say, which is, you might miss it with an initial reading, but this God is separate from us and yet personal to us. Go to that next screen, Cindy. That, that he is separate from us. So remember, pantheism is there. That God is in all things, the rocks and the trees, and he is all things. He says, no, no, no. In another sense, God is distinct from creation. Yes, he, he's created all things. And yet God is distinct. And then he makes another subtle teaching into this. And he says, and yet he's personal to us. Look again, verse 26. Uh, verse 26, from one man he made all the nations 
So there's a unity that's there and yet a diversity. If you think of all the nations, all the colors, all the contexts, and yet we're from one man made in his image that they should inhabit the whole earth. There is another worldview of deism that God is the clockmaker. He winds up the clock, he creates the world and sets it and lets it go, right? Life feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Right? But he says, no, that's not how it is. He goes on and he says, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out your appointed time in history. Do you believe that? He's not saying, you know, life isn't this big cosmic chance. But God chose this time for you to be alive. He chose your color, your culture, where you're born, and where you're living. He is that involved in this life. Right? I think once we understand that, we can hear purpose. The purpose is in that next verse, a verse worthy of underlining or highlighting if you have your own Bible that you brought up. If you're using the ones here, no, you can't do that. Well, maybe you can. It would be worth to have all our Bibles, this verse highlighted. And I think this is the, the, the purpose God did this so that they would seek him. Who would seek him? Look at your neighbor and go, you, you. God did this so, chose your boundaries, chose your timing, chose who you are, male or female, knit you together so what? What's the purpose? Say it louder. Seek him. Let's keep reading. Seek him and perhaps reach out. Isn't that beautiful? He knit you together. He puts you right here. And he invites you to reach for him. Too bad we can't really know him. Too bad it's a big cosmic joke. Too bad he's placed this hunger and desire in our souls and yet we can't really find him. Oh wait, Paul doesn't say that, does he? What's he say? To seek him and perhaps reach out for him and the one true living God, we get to find him? We get to discover the one who knit us together, the one who placed us in this particular time period and where we live, we get to find him? Man, that is better than any pursuit of happiness, right? We get to know him and then even, he goes on a little bit further 
We get to find him though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live. In him we live. In other words, Paul is saying this is true life. The life in him. The life that moves in him. The life that we find our being, our essence, our purpose. That's the life that you were created for. That's the purpose that's there. We find him and live in him. We get to seek and reach out and then live. I've been reading a, a biography about Keith Green. Some of you are old enough to remember Keith Green. I was so dis- disappointed with one of my members of my staff who's younger who didn't know Keith Green, right? So the story of Keith Green is in the 1970s, and he is this incredibly gifted musician. He is, uh, you know, raised, he was raised as a Christian scientist, all right, but kind of rejected that. He meets a, uh, his wife, uh, and she was raised Jewish, and together they're in the 1970s drug scene, okay? And yet they've got the spiritual hunger, a longing and desire. And they have this whole list that really reflects the 1970s of where they're searching for hunger, uh, uh, for meaning and purpose and significance. Even the use of drugs is part of their search and longing. Melody, who's writing the biography of Keith Green, his wife, she was raised Jewish, but then presses into Buddhism, right? And she's actually part of that and longing, and yet they are unfulfilled in wherever they are going. Whatever they're trying, they, they keep returning again and again. Sometimes they go back to uh, Christian scientists. Sometimes they go back to Jewish faith. All of these things, they, they keep going to, to drugs and all this, and there's this longing and this searching, and they're saying, we're, we're longing for this. And then finally, they, uh, what's an interesting twist is they like Jesus, They don't like Christians, they don't like the church, but they like Jesus. And so they decide to adopt Jesus as their spiritual guru. That's fun, that's good, right? Yeah. And so they start pressing in to find Jesus. And then finally, even though they have huge issues with Christians and the church, they get invited to this like house church. It's an early vineyard. And they hear the teaching of the word and it's truth. And there's this stirring and this longing. And then an invitation in the living room. I don't know, they said 30, 40 people were there in this house to receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Melody shares her own experience. She's like, I can't do that. 
I was raised Jewish. That is not okay. She said, I wanted to raise my hand, but I couldn't. But Keith Green did. So they're driving home from the meeting, and uh, Keith just goes, Melody, I found it. What we've been looking for, this, this longing that we've looked in all of these places, and it hasn't been there, it's there. And it made Melody feel so much worse that she didn't raise her hand, right? Next week, the invitation came, and guess what? She raised her hand, and that changed their lives. It changed how they lived. And incredibly, incredibly, Keith is this gifted musician. If you YouTube him now, just there's no one like Keith Green, right? And yet he goes, you know, this is a journey. I'm condensing this story. He goes, I, I don't know if God wants me to play music. I don't, I don't know if, uh, if I, I can ever play in front of an audience again. His dream was to become famous and all of that, right? And he all of these professional studios and he's in that circuit and he's performing and that's how they make a living. So Melody was like, are you sure? Because we have bills. And he's like, I'm just gonna give it to God. You see how that, Worldview and that meaning shifted his entire life. Maybe I'll share it next week, but in a beautiful way, he gives and stops playing, stops performing. And then God says, I want, to use, I want you to use this for my glory. I want to take your heart, the, the love that I placed in you and use it for a different way. You see, friends, when we change our meaning, when we change our worldview, when we change what we believe life is really about, then we will change our lives. He will change our lives. Paul states the purpose of life in a slightly different way, Philippians 3.10, he says this, I want to know Christ. You see, he had found him, right? Christ Jesus knocked him off the horse, rode to Damascus, invited him, changed his worldview, brought him into relationship with the living God, empowered him with his spirit, and yet still, years and years later, though Paul had found him, he says, I want to know him. That once you found him, once you pray that prayer, then you have a life of knowing. And remember that, that Jewish knowing, the, the Hebrew meaning of knowing is this experiential knowing and longing. It's not just intellectual. It's not just reading more books. It's pressing into this personal relationship. And the apostle Paul, after Athens, is saying, I want to know him. And what he did on a daily basis, he said, the things that I thought were so awesome, he says, they're dung. That's a nice word for crap. Can I say that? 
meaning of life shifts what's valuable and what's crap. And, and he's saying, this is, this is the, the true life. And friends, I, I just have to be honest with you. I live with this default purpose of the pursuit of happiness. I get up. Well, I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit. I used to live. And I'd get up and I'd get my coffee (laughs) and the coffee. That's a very important part of your day. And then what do I do? Pursue education, want to be a lifelong leader. Pursue my job, pursue my family. It's not that those things are bad. Now what I try and do every morning is pursue him. Let let me try and say it like this. I don't know if this will work for you or not, but there's some comprehensive ways I I think we can begin to shift our our meaning in our life because I believe all those things that we're pursuing in terms of happiness is God's fingerprints are on those. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge that God, this isn't pantheism, but this is that God is the creator and Lord of everything. And we can find him in our day-to-day lives. We can find him as we pursue education. We can find him as we work our jobs. We can find him as we hike in the mountains. I asked Cambria permission if I could share this detail about her life. and She said, she does not like school very much. All right? And so we were talking about this, and I said, you know, girl my grades really began to change when I stopped focusing on the grades and I started asking, Lord, what do you want to teach me in this class? You see how you change the focus there? And in Cambriesque style, she said, why didn't you tell me that way back when? <laughs> I could try. But, but you, you see, you, you get to turn what you're doing. You get to turn everything in your life with the exception of sin and you can seek and pursue him in that activity, in that life, in that work. And pretty soon there is that transformation. Do you know that I like to do chores? mostly you know why because I get to pray when I vacuum I get lonely that's my default as I get lonely now I'm not going to do all your homes I got way other things to do 
but I get to bless my wife and I get to be with Jesus. Does that make sense? I love to jog. I got, a, I got to jog yesterday because it was warm enough. Do you know why I love to jog? So you can pray. I just get to rest in him. I get to listen. How many times do I get to listen? Now, real practical, I'm going to invite the worship team in just a second. All right. I want to invite two really practical ways that you can begin to pursue him in the day-to-day. Do you know that we have in our possession that is referred to as the self-revelation of God, where God is doing what Paul did. He is revealing himself. Do you know that we have that possession? What is it? If you want to live the true meaning, the true purpose of life, if you want to start affecting your day, God has revealed himself to you and I. It's right there in black and white. And if we're really going to live with the the meaning and the essence and the purpose of life is connecting with the creator of the universe and the creator of our soul, let's start reading his self-revelation. Wouldn't that be a good activity? in the new year in 2018. I want to give you a very, very simple way. We are doing um, leadership development, what we call apprentice huddles. And, And we've got some lessons that are happening. In your bulletin is a little lesson, and it is simply a way of reading scripture that's called SOAP. Soap, scripture, you choose a scripture. I would recommend if you've not read scripture for a while, you start in one of the gospels in the New Testament. If you don't have a modern translation like NIV, take one of the Bibles from underneath the chair. You can take it, especially if you highlighted it, then it's yours, all right? (laughs) Take it, all right, and you choose a scripture, And then I want to recommend you get a journal and you make some observations. That's what O stands for. Observation. The who, what, why. The repetitions. The cause and effect. And you just journal it down. This sheet of paper will walk you through this. Now we cheat a little bit and put an I in there for interpretation, but I'll let you read that so it's actually sweep. That's not as clean. So A, and then you get to A, and you get to application, and then P is problematic. No, prayer. That's it. That's it. Would it be awesome if in 2018 we were simply doing that? As a staff, we've been doing Apprentice Huddle, and Beth 
lettuce in a soap. And she brought us to Genesis. And, and the passage of scripture was about cutting a covenant of cutting animals and separating them. And there's birds of prey that are picking. And Abraham has to flee away from the birds of prey. And we read the scripture and Josh goes, Beth, thank you for choosing such an uplifting and encouraging passage of scripture for us as a staff. And as we unpack that passage of scripture, it was so encouraging. It was such a blessing. It, it was the voice of the spirit speaking to us as a staff team because we're simply learning to really slow down and hear his voice in the pages of scripture. Let's pray. So Lord, so bold of Paul to say in his context, this pluralistic Athens, Lord, so bold for him to say this is truth. This is purpose. This is essence. Lord, help us to believe it. Lord, help us to live it. Lord, would you change our lives? Would you shape our lives not around the pursuit of happiness? Lord, we know you want to give us joy. We know that you're inviting us to a life, yes, of sacrifice, but also of blessing, of joy, of goodness. Help us to trust you in that. Lord, help us to pursue you. Lord, I pray for 2018. I pray that tomorrow would be that first day that we live, that we are not distracted from this beautiful purpose the, to know you, to find you, to walk with you. Find your fingerprints in every aspect of our lives, Lord. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you did it. You, you modeled that life for us. You communed with the Father. You, you found him, Lord. We, we long to live the life that you so incredibly modeled for us and then died on the cross so that we might live. Lord, teach us how to do that, Father. Teach us how to be truly your offspring, your sons and daughters, your children who live with you and who live with you for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we stand together and respond with worship?
In him we live and move and have our being. We serve a great and mighty God. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He rides 